This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Jenny. And we're talking new releases and recent arrivals. So what's new and recently arrived in 2014? Some good stuff. Is this, the first, is this the first show of 2014? I think it is, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had one right at the end of 2013, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, short stories? Yeah, there's a few. Um, Tor came out with um, selected original fiction from the last four years. Just a few stories there. Yeah, and some good names. Mm-hmm. Charles Strauss, John Scalzi. Um, I've read both of those guys. Ken McLeod, maybe. Britt Mandelo, not heard of. Sylvia Day and uh, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, I've heard of Sanderson, but he I didn't think he wrote short stuff. Oh, yeah, every once in a while. Okay. And Rachel Swirsky is always on, like, Hugo Nebula lists. She's oh, yeah, on this there. list. And Megan McLaren. I hear Rachel's good at short stories. Mm-hmm. That's all she does, I think. Um, narrators are uh, multiple, I would assume. Uh, doesn't say here. Um, and this is brilliance on CD. Wow, they still make CDs. Yeah, I think they're working towards transitioning, but it's taken a while. Hmm. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I. I gotta have it, but it does have two straw stories, so mm-hmm. that, that makes me excited. But my, uh, Marissa is going to do it, yes. right? Oh. Okay. I was going to say Misa, but no, Marissa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's like we ha- don't we have uh, two Julies now? It's this is getting to be a big organization. Yeah, two Melissas. No, we have a Misa and a Marissa. Oh. It's just the difference so. of an R. <laughs> yes. Uh, next, uh, this is a book I have read. I probably have it on my shelf somewhere. Um, read it in the 80s, presumably. The Man Who Sold the Moon by Robert A. Heinlein. And I'm sure this has been released, you know, sometime before as an audiobook. Uh, but the title story is pretty fun. It's, it's very, uh, elog- elegiac, I guess is how you would say. Is that the word? How you pronounce it? E L G A I C. Is that you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no idea how to say it. And like an elegy, you mm-hmm. know. So it's sad. Uh, yeah, I mean it is. It's it, it's kind of like Heinlein um, saying, "Yeah, Apollo's happening, and I don't get to go." <laughs> um, so it's it's a story about a super rich, you know, Heinleinian style billionaire or something who decides um since he can't go to the moon he's gonna he's gonna make his own rocket program and uh he goes to the moon and they said you can't go to the moon you'll have a heart attack you'll die the g-forces will kill you he says it's okay i'll die on the moon Uh and that's what he does (laughs) well if you know the other stories that are included i would love to hear it i looked everywhere for that information and i couldn't find it could probably find it on my shelf, but it should be very easily findable yeah. on my favorite website that isn't SFF Audio, of course, is called uh, ISFDB. Now, ISFDB is Internet Speculative Fiction Database, or I think Science Fiction Database, um, and that is a 
treasure trove for finding where things were published and what's in books. Um, isfdb.org. And on isfdb.org, we find it's in publications called The Man Who Sold the Moon, 1951. Is that the... Yeah, okay, so in this collection, I'm not sure this is exact same one, but it has uh, Let There Be Light, a short story, The Roads Must Roll, a novelette, uh, essay at the beginning called uh, The Man Who Sold the Moon, and then the novel, uh, or, sorry, the novella, The Man Who Sold the Moon, and Requiem, which is another short story. Hmm. Um, and it's all and, Simon Pure science fiction. Because it's probably <laughs> what does that mean again? You were, you were using that. There, there's like five rules that Highline says for good science fiction. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> no, but you, you, you keep, is it Simon Pure, Jesse? You, you were in like text chatting or something earlier in the week, and I, I was like, I've already forgotten what that means. I, I guess Simon Pure is just like an expression from the old days. Meaning what, though? It's very pure. Okay. Super, uh, it's like 100% pure. Yeah. 100% pure. 110% okay. pure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think th- these are pretty pretty science fiction-y science fiction stories. The Roads Must Roll is, um, was adapted as a radio drama um, as well, but it's an it's a interesting story of um, slide walks, he calls them. Instead of sidewalks, they're called slide walks. Cool. <laughs> and so you, it's like you have them at airports, right, where you've got to go from one terminal to, I don't know, some other place and it's too far yeah. to quickly get there. So you get on the slidewalk and it slides you over there. It's like an escalator, except it doesn't take you up or down. Mm-hmm. It's just a side. And yeah, it's the whole city uh, like that. And what's cool is the story is, is about the union of guys who, who run the slidewalks and how they're going to, they're going to turn off the slidewalks and everything. Everybody's going to have to walk everywhere. Oh my God. And if they don't get their, you know, demands done, there's a, a really vivid use of that also in a novel by Asimov called the caves of steel. Um, I read that. Yeah. And he's, he's got one of the characters there jumping off jumping all over the slidewalks and how how basically you can imagine like a highway uh, with several lanes and the far far left lane or the far right lane is really slow and the far you know opposite lane is really fast and as you you change lanes you speed up or slow down so you can get off at any destination quite easily just by walking um, but it takes a little skill to you know to get used to it so it's like you almost need a, a walking license. <laughs> hmm. It's fun stuff. Very science fictiony. Yeah, it sounds fun. Mm-hmm. That's uh, f- that collection is from 1951, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. Um, I'll just see if the modern version. Yeah, it's exactly the same collection. Good. Seems like nice. Well, you found it. I'll have to bookmark that site because I couldn't oh, find it anywhere. So <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly handy. So is that a good intro to Robert Heinlein, if you don't want to read a whole novel? I guess. Um, Heinlein's novels are actually, I think they're better in the sense that uh, they're more fun. These are actually more about about sort of ideas, which, you know, normally that's what I'm going for. But um, sometimes the ideas he's, he's tackling are very small. 
um, there's sort of like little technical issue. We say, how are we going to solve this issue? Oh, here's how we'll do it. And it's like, oh, that's cool. So there's a an excellent short story, not in this collection, uh, that Scott's a big fan of as well. Um, it's set on the moon. Uh, see if I can remember the name of it. No, can't remember the name. But it's set on the moon, and it's it's basically it's its point is look if you made a colony on the moon, it would make sense to make it underground. But if it was underground and it you know you had an earth or a moonquake or something, all the air would rush out. And he his solution to this is to write a story in which he explains how uh, you solve this problem. You just have little balloons floating around inside the passageways full of sticky um, glue sort of material and they will um, get sucked towards the break and then fill, pop and fill in the hole. And it's like, oh yeah, clever. But it's not really like a meaty science fiction sort of novel sort of feeling to it. It's just a very small idea. Hmm. Right? So uh, this is sort of a combination of those two things because you've got very short stories that are, are solving the little technical issues and then you've got a f- couple of novellas that are uh, more yeah more novel like it's funny I, I normally I like short stories more but I like Heinlein's novels more hmm. do you prefer the juvenile ones to the later ones uh, yeah I think so I mean his later stuff is starting like 1979 to you know 1985 it, it starts to get really Sexy. unreadable uh, well, maybe town it is sexy, but it's not sexy that I'm interested in. Okay. <laughs> it's like old men, you know, hanging out with young girls and saying, I'm your sister or something, uh, but I'll still marry you. It's like, what? Okay, Mr. Heinlein, that's fine, but I, it's not for me. So I hear, uh, a lot, I hear a lot of people saying they prefer the juvenile ones, like uh, have spaceship, will travel. Well, we're, it's funny you mentioned that one because we're actually going to do that as a oh, read along. What do you upcoming. And oh, maybe you've seen the schedule. Yeah. <laughs> With um, Mark Turetsky got the, the contract to narrate that. Uh, he sent me the the uh, audition he did, and it sounded really good. Um, he did the f- first fifteen minutes of the book and sent that in for the audition. I guess with Heinlein, it's big deal. I mean, it, it, that that is probably the most famous. Um, Juvenile. It's not the most famous Heinlein, but it's probably the most famous juvenile Heinlein. And with good reason. It's an excellent, you know, intro juvenile science fiction book. I think Very I've fun. listened to Tunnel in the Sky. Is that a juvenile? Tunnel in the Sky. Something like that's that. A, yeah, that's funny that you heard that one, because that, that one was not easily available as an audiobook. But yeah, it's a good one. It's kind of like The Hunger Games, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. Um... So, yeah, we're going to do that, and that should be great. Yeah. Good. Yes. (laughs) So we have a few books um, under horror this time around. Uh, The first one is a personal favorite of mine. I actually own, I already bought and read the print. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It's the first book of the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. It's called Annihilation. And all three of the books in this trilogy are set to come out this year. So it's very quickly being published. It's following that model of the Jason M. Huff Dire Earth series, mm-hmm. Recycle, right? Yeah, and every month or so, put out a book and keeps the the interest up. I guess. Yeah, it's funny because I went to a reading that 
the author did in 2012, where he read an early, early draft of this book. And there's this um, element in the book, these words that are written on a wall um, that Mm. come directly exactly from a dream he had. (laughs) So I I heard that story, you know, two years ago. And ever since then, I was like, okay, I know I need to read these books. Um, But it's basically... There's this area kind of of the southern coast. don't exactly know where it is, but you kind of get the sense that it's Florida, um, Area X. And it's been cut off. They've been sending expeditions in it. <clears throat> People either die there or they return and then die when they get back. So it's really dark. Um, and so they're sending in the 12th expedition, and it's four women, anthropologists, uh, psychologists, a surveyor, and the biologist and the story comes from the perspective of the biologist. And so it's very, I don't know. It's very scary. I was glad Hmm. I was reading it when it was like the sun was out. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah, it was really good. And there's this, um, so they go into this place where there are these, I guess, life forms is what the publisher description says. I don't want to give too much of it away, but, um, there are things that grow and things that stalk people in the night and, to get even into Area X, they have to be hypnotized, which is kind of still really a puzzle to me after reading the first book. I don't understand why they have to do that. You know, I'm not, I don't understand the process that they're taking to get into the area. Um, so it's, it's, it's really good and it kept me reading. Well, uh, Hypnos is the, is the god of dream, right? Okay. Um, so that might have something to do with it. It's, it's, it's curious. I think you were saying something about this uh, earlier this week and saying it was Lovecraftian. Well, I think uh, that's what a lot of people are comparing it to. But, you know, it made me think more of um, what's the Bradbury Mars book? Um, Martian Chronicles? Yeah, the Martian Chronicles. Because if you think about those, um, they kept sending people to Mars and weird things kept happening and people kept yeah. dying, but they kept sending people to Mars. Mm-hmm, like, you're right. What possesses a person that knows these bad things have happened to still want to go? <laughs> Were there bee guns? Bee guns? Yeah. No, is that from the Martian Chronicles? Yeah. <laughs> bee guns? Like yeah, guns? Didn't they have guns that shoot bees or something? I don't remember I don't that. Remember yeah, that. I think the aliens did. Okay. Um, Martians. Maybe Tam dreamed that. <laughs> so, uh, it's funny. Um. The, one of Lovecraft's uh, first stories um, is set in Florida, mm-hmm. and it uh, was based on a dream. Um, in fact, most, uh, not most, a lot of his stories come from dreams. And it, yeah, I didn't think about that with regard to Ray Bradbury, but, but certainly they're all sort of like, uh, here's another story about Mars that seems unconnected with the others. Mm-hmm. And he's tying them all together, and it's, yeah, it's sort of like, I'm going to dream this same territory again. Right. Yeah, and you never know what's real, and you never know what's really happened, and there's that disconnect between the two because there isn't any continuity because the people are all dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a similarity. I just kept thinking of it every every page. Um, yeah, nice. so, so I kind so of see where the second one might be going, but I'm not sure I'm right. You gonna go for the audio on the second one, or are you gonna just? No, I think I'll keep... Run through the e-text. Yeah, I like having them to put on my shelf. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay, you're still paper hoarding. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the the cover is really beautiful. The artwork is really neat. So sometimes I'm a sucker for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think that makes a difference. It's only 200 pages. 
Yeah, it's yeah, really nice short. Thing. I like that. Cool. So, so Has I got a cure for that? I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. I was saying, uh, do we have a reviewer for that one? No, I actually pulled this into the list because um, this is a Blackstone title. Oh, okay. I've got uh, some credits left on Downpour. Oh, good. Hmm. I think that's the same reader that did The Hunger Games, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Carolyn McCormick, is that right? Maybe I should have looked. I think I, I think I heard the first Hunger Games um, novel, and I think that was that was pretty well read, if, if it is the same narrator. Yeah. Speaking of which, I watched uh, the second movie. Uh, have you guys seen that, Catching Fire? Mm-hmm. That's good. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I was surprised because um, I had heard uh, not to read the second book, and I wasn't really planning on it because I, I liked the first book, and I, I'm not a big series guy. But um, I think, you know, when it's on a movie format, it's quite a bit different. Cam, did you say you'd seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I've seen the first one. Yeah. What's funny is it sort of ends in the middle of the story, right? It does. Whereas the, the first one seems more complete. The second one is more like, and tune in next next year or whenever it comes out. <laughs> um, but what I like about it um, is it gives you some of the stuff from the first one. Sort of scratches the itch that I had with the problem of the, the, the first novel, which is... Um, this is a dystopia in which uh, the hero doesn't actually get to overthrow anything, right? Uh, doesn't actually get to fight against the, the dystopia. It's more just to survive in this dystopia. Hmm. And um, and then I was talking about this movie with um, a friend of mine saying how it's it's really well, uh, you know, the, the story of the novel and, and the movie, you know, it's a really well-written story, very, uh, very cool. It's got a lot of cool aspects. But it's totally girl, <laughs> and the the reason I'm saying it's totally girl is we can imagine there's this dystopia, see, and then you're forced to put on pretty dresses after pretty dresses. <laughs> the first pretty dress you have to put on, oh, it's terrible. And the governor makes you put it on, and then oh, the next scene, everyone adores you, and they put on makeup and they say how beautiful you are. It's terrible. <laughs> it's like, hmm, you know, see, a guy's dystopia wouldn't have anything like that, right? It would be more like, ah, oh, we gotta, gotta fight a war or something very <laughs> masculine sort of stereotype. The girl stereotype is, um, I have, I'm forced to have relationships with more than one man and it's terrible. I want to be loyal. But on the other hand, I do have to wear this pretty dress and I hate doing that because I'm just so not, you know, that kind of girl. That's not the point. The point is that it's <laughs> no. a symbol. It's a symbol of wealth and that everything's going well. And it's like she's I, lying when she puts it on. I I love I love that that's exactly right. But as a guy, <laughs> I could never imagine a guy writing that story unless he was, you know, flamboyantly gay and interested in women's dresses. Because guys don't spend that much time thinking about fashion. Is my, mm. my contention? I'm not sure it's true. Hmm. But 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 the the wonderful thing is. Even though it's about that, it's so well integrated, as you point out. It It is all that symbol stuff. It is very well written. It makes me want to read more of Suzanne Collins' stuff. Yeah. I was looking at her. Well, this She's is it. Apologies too. Oh, has she? Yeah. Yeah, she, there was a previous series before that, huh. and there's been stuff since that, but none of it sort of caught fire, I guess, in the same way. Uh-huh. That was an uninten- unintended pun at the beginning of the hmm. words. It was... Well, and the reason I like the second one so much more is, you know, me, I like the world, the 
the mm-hmm. dystopian part of it. And in the first book, it's much more about the game and, and the competition and the relationship. And you don't really get to see the surrounding, uh, what they and call districts. the districts. Yeah. Sorry. Until the second one. And so that's when you really start to see how bad it is. Mm-hmm. I liked it. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 there was no criticism there. It was, it was all, um, it was just sort of insight and saying, yeah, this is, if, you know, you blindfolded me and said, uh, who wrote this? Is it a guy or a girl? I'm going to go. I got to go girl. Oh, sure. Just because the, the themes are not the themes that, I, you know, if Heinlein does that story, it's uh, the moon is a harsh mistress. It's lectures, lectures, lectures and revolutionary flags. Right. So this relates completely specifically to one of the books on our list. So I'm going to jump down to it, if you don't mind, because I've listened to it already. (laughs) Um, It's under the post-apocalypse chunk that I have. It's called Archetype by M.D. Waters, narrated by Christine Havam. I don't know how you say her last name. Um, Christine does a lot of the YA urban fantasy type books. Her voice is just perfectly suited for it. I'd heard her before on um, Daughter of Smoke and Bone. I listened to that. She did a great job on that one. Um, this comes from Penguin Audio, but this is kind of like um, similar to Handmaid's Tale in the universe where the women that can have children are imprisoned until they get married and they're sold off at kind of as like baby slaves. Yeah. And except for... <laughs> And this is kind of where it ties into what you were saying. You can definitely tell it's written by a woman, beca- a woman because it's full of romance and sex. Like <laughs> almost <laughs> to right. a point where you're like, really? Because <laughs> the main character, she wakes up in a hospital and she has no memory of what came before. All she knows is that there's a man that visits her every day who says he's her husband. And he's very nice to her and very treats her very well. Um, and she's very much in love with him, and she's just trying to get better until she can go home. But she keeps having these dreams that conflict with the life that he's telling her she has. So um, you kind of go down this hole. You figure out, you, you find things out very slowly. It's very suspenseful um, about what the world is actually like and the person that she actually is. And it's, um, I, I thought it was great. It is number one of a series. Yeah, but only a two-part series, it says. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Which is nice. Because the second Uh, one's called Prototypes. You have Archetype and Prototype. Um, But yeah, it's very much... I mean, you can tell it's a woman. How how does it... uh, Does it end well in the sense that it's it's a complete book? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was surprised when I went and looked it it up and saw that there was a second book, just because it felt pretty self-contained. But I could see exactly especially from the title of the second book, exactly which part of the story they're going to pull into that second book. I, I'm looking forward to this review because that, uh, that was one of the ones I noticed that sounded kind of interesting. Yeah. It's a little bit Philip, Philip K. Dickey. It's got the uh, implanted memories, I guess, except they're, they're not exactly implanted, right? Or maybe they are. I don't yeah, know. that's one of those things you kind of find out through the story, I think. And she doesn't know if the dreams are real. And there's a woman that keeps speaking to her in her head during the day, too. Like, it's mm. kind of like she has these waking dreams, but she can sense that she's not supposed to tell people that she's having them. Um, so it gets kind of scary fast. But nice. Yeah, I liked it. It's funny how uh, they hide the- her gender, the author's name. They just say M.D. Waters. Like, yeah. I went and looked her up because I wanted to know. 
Hmm. And she's someone who like lives in Baltimore and has some kids, and like <laughs> this is her first book. Is is it her first? Did you say? I think so. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's uh, nice to have a good good book out the out the gate first. Yeah, and the funny thing happened where I was home for half a snow day. I started it, and then I had to drive to work, and then I got lost in my own town. This happens wow. sometimes. Wow, on purpose. But, um, no, you would think it was on purpose, but it did let me finish the book. So right. since I listened to everything at, at 2x speed, I the 10-hour audiobook only took five hours. So I listened to it in a day. I just couldn't stop listening to it. Hey, maybe, love- maybe somebody implanted something in your mind that made you get lost. <laughs> so I know. I don't know. I love, I love when you, you do, you start off on 2x, it seems too fast. And then when you, you're you going on 2x and you slow down to 1x, mm-hmm. it's why is this narrator speaking so, so slowly? <laughs> because you get used to the, the fast pace. Yeah. You can always tell who is a professional narrator versus who isn't by that. Um, because oh, really? I was listening to a history book about the George Washington spy ring, and mm-hmm. it's read by the author, who's a sports journalist, sports broadcaster for Fox and Friends. And you can't, I couldn't listen to it at 2x. And I really wanted to because I like to get through things quickly. But mm. it was just impossible. Like half the words were kind of cut off because his normal speaking speed is faster than that. Hmm. So you, I always can tell the difference. That's funny. Yeah. They must go through some kind of training about how to pace their words. <laughs> <laughs> so his articulation wasn't clear. Yeah, well, it's partly an accent, partly that he shouted, and you know, it just—he just spoke too quickly. The whole book. Oh God, <laughs> this is another reason I wanted to get through it. Chapter one. <laughs> Let's just say you can tell he's a sports reporter <laughs> from Long Ladies Island. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> chapter one. It's trying to be Howard Cosell. Yeah. Uh, the loon. We're back to our our regular section of the list is back to the horror section. Mm-hmm. Michael Brent Collings via Audible. So this is an author reviewing, or uh, sorry, publishing his own book through Audible. This is happening now, right? Yeah, and we've been contacted by a lot of authors directly lately. Keep it up, authors. We listen. Mm-hmm. We get mm-hmm. your books reviewed. And Scott actually Trust. had seen this guy at some cons. Oh. So he, he knew him. So he, that's why he took this one. Okay. But this one says it's about... Maybe that's not a wise move. I'm always <laughs> afraid to read my friend's stuff. Like, sure. I, I've not read Luke's books because what if I hate them? Right. I'm going to have to say, Luke, I, I think you're not as good as you used to be. Well, I, think that- <laughs> I, I used to think you had great ideas, and then I read your book. Wouldn't that be terrible to think? Sure, I thought you were waiting think- for the audio version. Yeah, I, that's what I say. Right? I'm, yeah. It's a lie? <laughs> I don't know, but it's a good excuse. I, it's the excuse I get for everything. But even so, if if the audio version is there, then I'll have to make the final decision. <laughs> now we know the truth. Well, I think in this case, they're more acquaintances than friends. So. Okay, good. That makes it easier. But this one is about um, an isolated maximum security prison for the criminally insane. Then there's a freak storm. And the prisoners get loose. And there's a hmm. blizzard, and then they discover that the inmates aren't the most dangerous thing. Dun dun dun. Sounded interesting. Sounds like yeah. It sounds like the sort of the premise for Shutter Island. Mm-hmm. You guys 
Remember that movie? Sure. No. Um, yeah, I, w- I watched that not too recent, not too long ago, and I kept thinking, "Wow, this is a, such a pretty movie." It's too bad the story is so obvious. <laughs> it's like really <laughs> obvious what's going on, and they're taking it so slowly. It was like uh, step by step, but it was like I'm I'm 15 steps ahead of you guys. Come on, move it. Hmm. But it was pretty. Um, the, but this uh, I think that was a not a, a snowstorm. I guess it's very appropriate for what you guys are experiencing, right? You both snowed oh, yeah. in. Oh, mine's gone. Yeah, I think it's okay. over today. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a trying experience. Hmm. It snows and it hmm. stops and it snows again and then it stops and we run out of salt. Yeah, and South Carolina never buys salt to begin with, so we're just stuck uh-huh. inside. It's use kitty litter. <laughs> well, that's kind of fun though. You were what, what, didn't Seth get a snow day too? I don't. Yeah, know. sure. I got a few work days off. There you go. So. Yeah. They just close the school and everybody gets to stay home and read books. That's what I did. It was yes, awesome. So- so I read this horror book about a town being trapped in snow called Snowblind. Ah. So that's Snowblind. Did you like it? Yeah, well, I'm 75 percent of the way through, but it's 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 almost like an old style Stephen King. It's it's pretty good. Hmm. Uh, it's not a the one I'm thinking of that's kind of good for that. It's not actually snow though. Um, it's Phantoms by Dean Koontz. Have you guys read that? Yeah. Better than Dean Koontz. That that's a very uh, I want to say earlier, but that's not true because he was writing in the 60s uh, or 70s anyways. Um, it's mid-80s and it's uh, a town. The sheriff is coming back or somebody's coming back from picking someone up at a train station or something like that. And they come back to the town and the town's empty. Um, there's nobody anywhere. Thanks. And this like, what's going on? And they you know, go into the house and the family's gone and then he goes into the neighbor house and the, there's nobody there. And the only clue as to what might have happened is there's uh, jewelry, uh, uh, like earrings and uh, necklaces and diamond rings and um, such in the sink of many of the houses. I say, what the hell's going on? And of course, there's a monster. Really fun, really fun story. Because, okay. um, yeah, it's fun to read. Like when you're a little bit scared and you know you're stuck alone and you don't know if anybody's around. Like if you're in a cabin or something like that, hmm. the power's off. <laughs> a little bit scared. Isn't that where want. Dean Koontz always is best? I think that's right. I mean, he does do some character stuff that's pretty great as well. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he's he's very he's very interesting, talented writer. And, it's, it's a fun book. There's a terrible movie version as well. Don't watch the movie version. It's useless. I guess you can also read the uh, 30 Days of Night comic or movie about the, vamp- yeah. the vampires in Alaska, where it's night for 30 days, so you're kind of stuck with vampires. Yeah, the uh, movie version is not crappy. Oh, good. Um, it's, I haven't read the comic book, but um, the movie version is not crappy. So. The comic book has some nice art. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I I haven't seen it, so I've I've been sort of on the lookout for it. But I also think it isn't it run really like isn't it really long? Oh, I think it? it's just like one trade paperback. I don't oh, think really? So, I don't okay. Think it's that long. Maybe there was a sequel or something. Yeah, probably. 
All right. Well, I'm going to keep looking okay. for that one. 30 more days of height? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we moving into space? Yay. Sure. I was going to skip down to um, these two books that seem to be released simultaneously by Marco Kloos. Um, right. Both read by Luke Daniels. Uh, one is Terms of Enlistment and one is Lines of Departure. Uh, they're both about eight hours. And the comparisons being made to the great military sci-fi tradition of Robert Heinlein, Joe Haldeman, and John Scalzi. All right. Now I'm going to do a quiz. Tam, <laughs> see if you can do it. Tam, name the three books that those authors are connected uh, Robert Stars of Troopers, Fort War, and Man, uh, Old Man's War. The Old Man's War is John Scalzi, right. that's correct. Hey, you can also and Hal- put in like John Steakley's armor as another. Uh, hey, that one's mine, yeah. Elsef book. Okay. I think John Scalzi actually taught this guy, Marco Clues. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. interesting. So, What about uh, Joe Haldeman? What's the Joe Haldeman book? Forever War. Oh, you're right. Okay, good. Ding, ding, ding. Gold star. <laughs> Would you have gotten that, Jenny? No. <laughs> I don't read I military feel- sci-fi. It's probably my least favorite I, subgenre. I think one time Eric Rapkin was talking about that, how they, those books are in conversation with each other. Uh, well, I wrote a review of uh, Scalzi's book that I talked about that. I don't know okay. if I talked about it on the podcast or not. But also I put Ender's Game in there as well. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I know a lot of people love this stuff, so yeah. it's nice to I see mean, new it, stuff it come is out. A, yeah, it is a, a genre that gets... Um, done a lot, but actually, I think most of it is is not of this kind. This sounds like it's um, more in the tradition of those particular books. Mm-hmm. Um, each of those ones starts with uh, the hero being, you know, called to join, then being trained, and then going to war of some something like that. Uh, whereas a lot of the military SF ones. They are just in. It's in the middle of the war, and it's it's a lot to talk about the laser guns, and it's not so much about the the experience of you know joining up and and uh, becoming a career soldier or something like that. Right. So I think with these two, you probably get both. The first one is probably oh. about the development, and the second one is they're already in the middle of the alien wars. So mm-hmm. it looks like it from the descriptions, anyway. Mm-hmm. And Luke Daniels narrating both. That should be mm-hmm. good. Yeah, he's a great narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're coming out uh, exactly the same time or just next? Yeah, uh, they, they both came out at the same time, the same time as the paperbacks, too. So everything came out at once. It's kind of a mm-hmm. new strategy, isn't it? Kind of like the Netflix yeah. series. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good idea. Yeah. No need to uh, wait. Yeah. They, so, weren't, they weren't published before, like, independently? Or something like that? I don't think so, but I'd have to go look it up. Um, Casey's doing the books, so mm-hmm. I guess that's solved. But nobody wanted to pick up The Master of the World by Jules Verne? No, do you want it? I think I might. I um, might. Brilliant. I, I don't know about Jim Kilvaney. Is he a good narrator? Not heard of you know, I think Julie has listened to a few of him. I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, this is the guy that does his own and then sold the rights to Brilliance, but I, I might be wrong. Oh, his name okay. just sounds really familiar. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this one sounds oh. in North Carolina. Sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. A volcano in North Carolina. Does that even happen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got mountains there. Yeah. I don't. Okay. Think that kind of they're kind of dormant, but. 
Well, but I think grits, grits came out of the volcano. Grits? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grits. Uh, what are grits? I think it's corn. Yeah, corn. corn really? Corn okay. meal okay. that you cook slowly. I need more answer, answers. Uh, and it absorbs the moisture. <laughs> what are colored greens? They're green. Yeah, just like lettuce or... Are they vegetables? It's like greens. Leaf, leafy green vegetables. And it's okay. usually cooked with pork. Okay. Mm. Yeah, but didn't you say everything is po- cooked with pork? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> everything is better with bacon? Yes, it makes a vegetarian life very difficult. <laughs> mm. oh, no. right. I'm going I'm going to investigate this one because I, I, I do like... I've been sort of on a Jules Verne kick lately. Hmm. Uh, I read uh, a couple of of his and what's the one I read last was um, Journey to the Center of the Earth yeah and that's um, it's funny that it's it's very um, he's not really science fiction-y that much he's more adventure-y steampunk well he's writing so early yeah but the focus is totally not on on the tech I mean the tech is there and such but it's it's much more about the adventure and it's more, it's very like, it, I guess it, it shouldn't remind me, but it's the other way around is it's Edgar Rice Burroughsy, you know, very uh, fun adventure, less about the science. Yeah. So is it him that writes the book about going to the moon and all they need are rifles and fur coats or is that Burroughs? <laughs> I can't remember the name of the I think, story. I think that's, uh, I think that's Vern. Um, I get them mixed up though, because there's one where they, yeah, in the Vern one, they sh- they go to Florida and they shoot a cannon towards the uh, moon. And um, it's like a film, I, old film version of that, right? Where the indeed the yes. rocket goes into the eye of the moon, like the moon has eyes. A voyage to the moon, I think yeah. it's called. Well, since other people aren't looking at the list, maybe we should tell them what the book is. <laughs> oh, we didn't mention the title, <laughs> "The Master of the World." <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, master of the world. Yeah. Now I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but the, there's another one called the Mysterious Island, but I don't think they're connected. I think, I think the it, Mysterious Island is connected with the, with the the twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Um, and you find out halfway through uh, um, the Mysterious Island that it's it's a sequel to Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, oh. which I think is pretty funny. Um, and Mysterious Island is owned by Nemo, it appears. Um, and that, that one's set during the Civil War. Um, but I don't know much about the Master of the World other than it's, I guess it's set in North Carolina. Well, and it looks like there's a character in it named Inspector Struck. Right. And he's investigating the volcano and a car that's traveling faster than any other car. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, I have no idea where that's going to fit in, but it sounds interesting. And one of the cool things about Vern is he, he he's very playful with his characters. Um, they they represent things like that. Maybe we have difficulty understanding because the stereotypes are much more 19th century than you know 21st century. But right. um, if you, you you guys read or seen the uh, around the world in 80 days that's one of his i know the best i i've seen every movie version and hmm. listen to different audiobook versions um so there's in that one the main character is we're told is is um uh british uh 
upper class guy with no job. And um, his friend is, or his assistant is Passepartout. He's a French um, guy who's just trying to settle down after a life of adventure. And they both represent sort of Jules Verne saying, this is how, this is how the English are and this is how the French are. Right? And the Englishman is very, um, he's, he's, everything is about the clock. He sets his watch, you know, his life is like a clock and he, he, everything about his life is, is set to the clock. And the Frenchman is much more, um, he knows everything and <laughs> he can do everything. Hmm. Um, and it's very, uh, it's, it's like him poking fun at, um, at, uh, at Amer- uh, not Americans, at, at British and French at the same time. And in Journey to the Center of the Earth, um, the two main characters are German, and he does the same thing there, making the German character very precise and very, um, very uh, philosophically up in the air, which is it's 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 it's, it's funny when you're reading it because you're you're seeing I see what you're doing here. You're making fun of the Germans, hmm. um, but they're the main characters, and you're also following them. So he he's very entertaining. That's what I like about reading Vern, but you don't come away with it saying, oh, I learned some really cool stuff about science. Oh, sure. His science is terrible. Hmm. Usually. Usually it's pretty awful. All right. We better move on past Vern. Hmm. What, what, what next strikes anybody? The Wreck of the Nebula Dream. Nobody's got that yet. No. Uh, it's a nine-hour, five-hour, nine-hour, five-minute book by Veronica Scott, narrated by Michael Riffle. And it says, Traveling unexpectedly aboard the luxury liner Nebula Dream on its maiden voyage across the galaxy, Sector Special Forces Nick, Captain Nick Jameson is ready for ten relaxing days, hoping to forget his disastrous mission behind enemy lines. He figures he'll gamble at the casino, take in a few shows, maybe even have a shipboard fling with... Mara Lyre, the beautiful but reserved businesswoman he meets. And then it turns into, like, the Titanic in space, right? Yeah. Oh. It's, it, it's kind of a funny um, setup because it's, it's military SF with, with, like, then suddenly turns into the Poseidon adventure. <laughs> or something like that. Sounds I'm on top of the world. <laughs> Is that is that from the Poseidon Adventure? Oh, it's from Titanic. Oh, it's from Titanic. Oh, okay. That movie. <laughs> you guys know what the Poseidon Adventure is? Yeah, I saw that as a kid. Okay, yeah, because it's really old. Maybe Jenny's too young to know. I what it haven't is. seen it. I think Shelley Winters is hanging upside down on the ship. And she yeah, it's like a, it's like the Titanic sinks, except it sinks inverted or something. Hmm. Right. It's a it's a cast of thousands or something. A whole bunch of. Aging 1970s or 60s yes. actors. Ensemble cast. Yeah. Yeah. I like those. Uh, a New Beginning by Craig Brummer. I, I think I that was another one that spotted here. Yeah. Um, um, and this is another one where the author contacted us. Narrated mm-hmm. by Jack Nolan. And Kristen already finished this one, so her review should go up pretty soon. Um, seven hours, 32 minutes. Yeah. Story oh, of it's about it's about Kristen, right? Is this the one that had her name in it? I think so. Yeah. Really? It's <laughs> like freaking her out. I, I yeah. It's like the same uh, job that she has too. Right. Like, <laughs> NASA person. 
Yeah. Except Kristen didn't actually go into space, but this Kristen she, did. She works for people to go into space, but yeah. Right. And so in this in this novel, the young woman is ordered by the courts to serve as an indentured slave to a corporation that held her college debt. That's a little too mm-hmm. close to home, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she's sold to spacers. And spacers are rebelling against the corrupt control of Earth's mega corporations. Yeah, it's it sounds like fun dystopia. Um, maybe not too implausible. Yeah, no, it sounds kind of near futurey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so her review will go up soon on our site. Cool. Uh, so we got some Star Wars. Unless you guys are dying to talk about that, I want to skip down to the Asimov. Well, I mean, Let's it's just like. The James S.A. Corey Star Wars might be interesting because okay. they wrote uh, Leviathan Wakes, which is like a big hit. So yeah, it's James S.A. Corey is actually two people. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Honor Among Thieves is their book. Okay, so is that like what part of the Star Trek continuum are we in the middle of uh, the movies or before or after? I think it's between <laughs> one of the three original movies. It has Han Solo and Leia. Yeah. Okay. It says it begins after the destruction of the Death Star. So after Episode Four, I guess it's called. Yeah. Right. The first right. first movie. Before Hoth. I'm not sure what that is. You don't know what Hoth is? Oh my god! <laughs> you guys talking about Star Wars? You don't you haven't seen the movies? No, I haven't. I, I'm, I'm only a Padawan in this Star Wars. <laughs> oh damn! You've obviously seen the wrong movies. Basically, you can stop after uh, the first two, the ones that came out sequentially in our world. Not even the third one? Starting 1970s. Um, then you're good. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Even the third one is bad? It, 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 it just goes, it, it starts going totally off the rails. Okay. I mean, there's some good elements in it, but it, yeah, it's not great. Didn't Lee Brackett write the second one or something? Lee Brackett was involved with the script on the second one. And the second one, I mean, the script for the second one is some really good writing. There's some really good stuff going on in there. But the first one's got uh, really excellent pacing and script as well. So, Jenny, have you not seen any of the Star Wars movies? I have seen little bits and pieces. Like, I remember the trash compactor. Right. That's from the first but, And I think I went to the theater for the one where he melts into a lake of fire at the end. That's not a good Spoiler one. alert, I guess. I don't know. Well, but I, I haven't seen them all in order. I don't know the whole story. When I was young, I thought the people in white were the good guys. I've learned since that that is not true. <laughs> oh, I see. You mean the stormtroopers. Got yeah. it. <laughs> Ironic okay. costuming. Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't say, you know, you should go out and get all of them right now. But certainly the first... Do you? Yeah, okay. my husband knows them. I just have never seen them. Well, the first Star Wars Jenny, movie, Jenny. Uh, New Hope, they call it now, but when it first came out, it was just Star Wars, um, is really wonderful. And the reason it's so wonderful is because it feels like it's in, in the middle of a serial. Uh, or, And I guess that's what made it bad, is, is we get all this stuff filled in that we, we like to fill in in our own mind. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's really well paced. I mean, it's an amazingly um, action packed adventure with tons of good thinking going on to, to support it all. But it, it it it's 
Yeah, it sort of really goes off the rails after the second and, one. And it's all practical effects. That was before any computer effects. Uh, yeah, there's no computer effects, but there's lots of uh, modeling and mm-hmm. lots of good stuff. The amazing thing for our purposes is that there's such a big fan base out there and so many people who write in this universe that um, and we've seen, I don't know, at least six audiobooks for Star Wars come out in the last year. It's pretty amazing, mm-hmm. and there there just must be a big audience for it. Well, when I was a kid, I lived in a town where we didn't have any uh, cable in the regular sense. Everybody had HBO, Cinemax, and something else. A very strange town. Hmm. The whole town had HBO. And when I discovered Star Wars, it was on HBO, and I started counting. I watched it 25 times while I was on. Oh, my God. I know. And I don't I do not do a lot of rewatching or anything like that. But there's something about uh, you can... You can see it in the loyalty that comes, you know, with all these people still reading this stuff mm-hmm. uh, and buying the figurines and all that stuff. There's something about the way that sto- the first story is put together that really um, locks into the psychology of people. Hmm. I, I'm dressed as Princess Leia right now. <laughs> Pictures are we don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jesse, you wanted to talk about the Asimov. We have The Gods yeah. Themselves by Isaac Asimov, mm-hmm. read by Scott Brick on our list. Yeah, I think it's worth noting whenever uh, Asimov is put up. I have only heard an abridged version of The Gods Themselves. Um, it's very strange, uh, at least from the abridged version. And I would not recommend it from the abridged version, but I have not read an unabridged version, and that's what this is. So the the version I heard was like two cassettes, which makes us maybe three hours, which made the abridgment horrendous, right? Which probably explains why it was so bad. I just couldn't understand what was going on. Yeah, considering uh, that the unabridged is 11 and a half hours. Exactly. <laughs> so um, we've got two reviewers on this one, so somebody's going to get it done. But I think it's always worth noting when a new Asimov goes goes uh, goes live. So uh, I wanted to read the description here, and hopefully it'll make more sense than the memories I've, I have of reading the uh, unabridged or the abridged version. So it says, "Only a few know the terrifying truth: an outcast Earth scientist, a rebellious alien inhabitant of a dying planet, a lunar-born human intuitionist who senses the imminent annihilation of the sun. They know the truth, but who will listen? They have foreseen the cost of uh, abundant energy, but who will believe? These few beings, human alien, human and alien, hold the key to Earth's survival. So, it really doesn't tell you much what's going on, but I, I would say this is the most Clarkian of Asimov's books that I've read. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, sure is sort of striving in a way that uh, most Asimov books are they're not super striving. It's probably worth a listen. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what people have to say. One of those two reviewers. Hmm. All right. We are uh, into post-apocalypse disaster. Sure. Or general um, weirdness or the future or cyber tech. I ended up just putting everything else here. <laughs> right. The new weird. You can- the nice thing about new books that are coming out is they don't fit nicely into one category anymore. So I really like that, well, too. That's where you put archetype as well, right? So, yeah, sure. Um, um, the first Shovel Ready. What, what's, what's, I love the title. <laughs> Shovel Ready. 
It's about a guy who was a garbage man before a dirty bomb hit Times Square. Okay. Now he's a hit man. (laughs) So I don't think you need to say any much more than that. This is by (laughs) um, Adam Sternberg, read by Arthur Moray. From but uh, his name is Spade Man, right? Spade Man. <laughs> Spade Man is shovel ready. <laughs> um, uh, I think the title came first, is my thinking. This is, it's just too good. Oh, and I'm seeing in the description, in, it's new, near future New York. We've already said that. And it's split between people who are wealthy enough to tap in to virtual mm-hmm. reality and those who have to fend for themselves in the actual streets. And Spade Man right. chose the streets. <laughs> It sounds like it'd be a lot of fun to listen it to. It does sound hilarious. Yeah. It sounds like that movie, The Mystery Men. There was one yeah. guy who... Uh, yeah, the, that's right, The Shoveler. Had, yeah, The Shoveler. He followed the shovel. Yeah. Oh, no, that wasn't Ben Stiller. He was Mr. Furious. Right. Uh, his superpower was he could get really mad. <laughs> and he, he thought that gave him super strength, but it didn't. Uh, that's such a great movie. Yeah. Have you seen that, Jenny? No, sorry. Oh, Mystery Men, you will love it. It's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's the same writer as The Tick, the original comic. Oh, is it? Yeah. That, that's that's good stuff. Is that the one that Tom Hanks is in? Uh, Am I thinking of the wrong thing? No. Yeah. Je, Je, uh, Janine Garofalo was in it. She has like this bowling hmm. ball with her father's skull in it. Yeah, she's the bowler, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's basically, it's like, um, it's like the Legion of Superheroes or something, except they're... they're, li- they're Superpowers are sort of mediocre. There's one. There's one guy. His name Invisible Boy, but he can only be invisible if you don't look at him, <laughs> and he has to be naked. Yeah, if you know the Tick or like the old Batman TV show, it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's like really that. funny, and it's got it's got it's not super high budget, but it they do a lot with what they have, and the um and the acting is great. It's a ben, it's a Ben Stiller comedy with uh, an, an ensemble of. Uh, comedic actors fun sounds fun yeah i really like um i'm gonna scroll down a little bit the first Mm -hmm. thing that caught my eye about the utopia chronicles is the cover i just think it's yeah great cover and then i started reading this is another near near future title where the world's elites the rich people again they go to utopia which is a corporate owned artificial island in the Pacific Ocean. And then they're perfecting again virtual reality. So we're seeing a lot of these near future people living in virtual space kind of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I noticed that this one's read by a whole bunch of different narrators Luke wow. Daniels, Angela Daw, Tanya Ebby, Amy McFadden, Mikhail Naramore, and Nick Podell. So I don't know what that's about, but it sounds really interesting. Probably full cast for some reason. Yeah. Maybe just a lot of points of view, like uh, yeah. Game of Thrones, switching back right. and forth. And that yeah. could make it really interesting to listen to. But this one, so, definitely just the cover art itself pulled me in. I'd pick it up off the shelf to look at it, you know? Etymologically speaking, if I can do <laughs> that for a second, A in front of a word uh, usually means not, like amoral, right? Sure. Um, whether you want to eat that chocolate pie or that peach pie, that decision is not a moral question. It's an amoral question. It has nothing to do with morality. Atopia would be no-topia, right? Right. Uh, so it's not dystopia and it's not utopia, which makes us always point to the fact that utopias are always dystopias for someone and dystopias are always utopias for someone. So it's, it's a clever uh, title. It is. So it just means normal? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I sort of have to read the book to find out what it means. Yeah. I'm intrigued um, by this one. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And Casey's going to review it. Mm-hmm. And good. 
And then the next one, um, I always want to mention Daniel Suarez because I enjoyed his first book so much. This one's called Influx, and it's read by Jeff Gurner from Penguin. Um, another cyber thriller from him, which has kind of become his his thing, but he does it really well. Doesn't he write long? Isn't that the complaint people had about uh, Demon? Or It didn't oh. seem long to me, but... <laughs> not long. No? Okay. Um I, I I didn't get on that uh, Daniel Suarez train that was really everybody was maybe, jumping on board that one. Maybe you're thinking of Neil Stevenson. He writes long. Uh, you, well, no, I'm not. I'm thinking of Suarez. But I, I remember um, everybody was when Demon came out. I think all the Twitch shows were talking about yeah. it and a Sword and Laser and all that. Right? It was it was really. It was a very hot new book when it came out. Yeah, and I'm not sure his other books have gotten the same hype, um, but I'm still always glad to see them. I'm not sure I've read... I think I've read his first and second, but not his third, and I think this is his fourth, but I might be mistaken. It's not in this series, is it? No. Okay. Yeah, Demon was part Uh, of a series, but... Yeah. I I read Demon, too, or Demon, I don't know how you say it. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, it has a lot of very authentic, like, computer hacks and stuff, but then towards Mm -hmm. the end, it gets more... Fantastic with like uh, robot motorcycles with killer uh, buzzsaws on them or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but some it's people like just that. Just realistic enough. <laughs> yeah. Traditional fantasy. Yeah, we have a few in some? here. Traditional, yeah. <laughs> Epic. Uh, you have to put on your formal. Uh, what's that thing? Oh, damn. Uh, my jokes, my jokes falling flat. Uh, kilt, <laughs> your formal kilt when you, when you do traditional fantasy. Okay. Well, we have a few from the four world universe. I don't think we need to talk about. We've talked about that a lot. That's that collaborative project. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, a number Simon of, Vance read one there. Yeah, and yeah. it's the first one in a series, a new series, Chronicle of the Unhewn Throne. Um, and the title of the book is The Emperor's Blades by Brian Staveley. I don't know this author. No, it must be a new guy. It says, The Emperor of Anur is dead, slain by enemies unknown. His daughter and two sons, scattered across the world, do what they must to stay alive and unmask the assassins. But each of them also has a life path on which their father set them, their destinies entangled with both ancient enemies and inscrutable gods. Nice. Sounds interesting. Yeah. And Simon Vance is, is a great, great narrator. We do like him. Mm-hmm. And this is another one that was released the same time as the book. Nice. We like that. Yes, we do. Hardcover. Um, Adversary is part three. The Dawn of Swords, Breaking World one, is a new series starting. Mm-hmm. Brother Gods, Karak and Ashur, create, recreate mankind. So it's kind of a gods and humans story. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost mythological rather than... Uh, fantasy, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It sounds interesting. And David Doglish, that sounds familiar to me. That's the author, or one of the authors. It's also Robert J. Dupere. Mm. Dupere. Dupere. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be Doglish, by the way. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> There's a, a detective named Doglish, I think. Oh, okay. That's why I know how to pronounce that. Um, that's Yeah, that's cool. And Bryce is going to do that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it sounds a little bit like Rogers Zelazny, doesn't it? That one? I don't know. I've never read Rogers Zelazny. Oh, it's on my me list either. for this year. I'm okay. going to. We're, we're doing a read along pretty soon. Yeah. Zelazny uh, and Dick. Zelazny Dick collaboration. Oh, yeah, the Deus Irae? Yeah, Deus Irae, yeah. Yeah. That should be really interesting. 
I think that means mad god. Deus would be god, and ire would be like irritated. <laughs> I, irate. Yeah, an irate god. The mad god. Uh, hey, another Simon Vance uh, side, side quest of Four World. Is is he narrating all of those, or is that... Uh, no, most of them have been uh, Luke Daniels, I think. Okay. So it's kind of rare for Simon to do that. But. Nice. All right. So we can move to urban and contemporary fantasy. All um, right. Well, one of them's middle of a series. We've talked about the series before, but I did want to talk about The Land Across by Gene Wolfe, read by Jeff Woodman. Nice. Um, yeah. Forgive me, but I did not realize he was still alive. <laughs> no, I didn't either. <laughs> and so, okay, I like the description of this. I didn't know where to put it. It says, Grafton, an American writer of travel guides, needs a new place to explore, and he chooses a small and obscure Eastern European country. No travel books exist for this country, but the moment he crosses the border, he's in trouble much more than he could have anticipated or imagined. Um, He's detained, his passport's taken, and in prison, he's recruited by the enigmatic and powerful Legion of the Light as a broadcaster of propaganda. Now, what's cool about this is... I'm trying to remember the name for it, but yeah, it's called a Ruritanian romance. What? what? Have you guys ever heard of these things? I, I love weird, I love weird genre things. Like um, there's a genre of fantasy called Bangsian fantasy. Bangsian fantasy is named after a guy named John Kendrick Bangs, and he wrote novels set in the afterlife. So if you've got a novel set in the afterlife, it's a Bangsian fantasy, right? Ruritanian romance is a story set in a fictional country, generally Europe. And this was hugely popular in the late 19th century. Um, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote one. There's a very famous one uh, you probably heard of called The Prisoner of Zenda. Um, and this is sounds like his take on a Ruritanian romance. Hmm. Well, honestly... I like that label far better than what the publisher has chosen to use, which is Kafkaesque. I, that's one of my pet peeves. I don't have very many pet peeves, but when someone describes a book as Kafkaesque, I just want to slap them in the face. Especially if they're novels, right? Yeah. Does he turn into a cockroach? Uh, Kafkaesque. Ugh, it just means nothing. It's, it's so overused. It makes me think yeah. of metamorphosis more than anything else. Yeah, I think... It, it, yeah. Anytime there's bureaucracy involved in getting stuck in a bureaucracy, they think Kafkaesque. Yeah, but it just cheapens what Kafka actually is, and I don't know. I just really hate that word. Yeah. You should write a blog post. It's Kafkaesque. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, getting back to the Ruritanian roots of it, um, it's, it's very fun because, uh, you know, a really good example that you may have seen uh, I don't know, Jenny. I think you haven't seen enough movies. That's true. Um, um, there's one called Moon Over Parador. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you seen that, Tam? Yes. Um, it stars Richard Dreyfuss. Yes. Um, and there's a there's a Heinlein novel tying it all together that has the exact same plot. Um, the Heinlein novel is called Double Star. It's one of the first uh, books I reviewed on, on SFF Audio, and it's set on... Uh, I think Mars or something where the king has died or the king is dying and they hire an actor to come in and replace him while the king is getting better or whatever. Um, and that's the same in Moon Over Parador. Parador is a South uh, Central American you know, dictatorship 
um, with a guy who looks suspiciously like um, uh, Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> who is uh, he gets ill and they hire an American stage actor to come in and uh, replace him while he's recovering from his illness. And it's it's so it's got the Prince and the Pauper sort of thing going on, and it's got. Um, a lot of comedy, romance going on, and it's it's great fun, but also gives you the feeling this you get when you're in a science fiction world, you get to explore a new culture. Um, Ruritanian romances are really good at that because they give sort of a quasi-Eastern European um, culture that's somewhat familiar, but they get to play with it any way they want. You know, they can make the the uh, aristocracy more powerful or they can make the uh, religion more popular or, you know, more powerful. And it's, it's very fun to play because you get to explore sort of familiar tropes. And with Gene Wolfe doing it, it might be very interesting. Exactly. Like, I'm used to him writing fantasy, but then the fantasy is always so complex, you know, and mm-hmm. then he throws in elements that aren't exactly fantasy. So putting it in more of a contemporary setting, I think would be really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. It might be a way for me to get into Gene Wolfe because the first time I tried it, I, I was like, well, I'm not, I can't do that. <laughs> it, just, it just, I don't know. It was not, I couldn't, it was not readable for some reason. Hmm. Are you both talking about book of the new sun? That's the so. only thing no. I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I liked so. it. I felt like I needed to read it more than once to really get everything, though. Gene Wolfe was known for having a lot of secret things going on in the background. You have to read mm-hmm. it twice to figure it out. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. weren't there, like, computers in that somehow? Yeah, it's really science fiction, but on the surface it looks like fantasy. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like, kind of realize what's going on. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And he has the unreliable narrator, so you have to think around that, too. Yeah. The Land Across. Uh, Bryce is going to review that. I am looking forward to reading that review. Yeah, definitely. So you said you had some other things that had come in? Or that uh, I do, but uh, let's talk about Tam's first, because Tam had some stuff as well, right? Well, I just wanted to mention three relatively new books. Okay. Uh, the first is A Darkling Sea by James Cambius. And this is Simon... That's one you were saying was not available as an audiobook yet? Right, but I'm, I'm sure it'll come. Okay. It seems to be very well uh, received by critics and stuff. And this book is Simon Pure, <laughs> science fiction, and I've looked it up. Okay. All right. So uh, would you like to hear the five rules of Simon Pure science fiction? Oh, sure. One, the conditions must be, in some respect, different from here and now, although the difference may only lie in invention made in the course of the story. Two, the new conditions must be an essential part of the story. Three, the problem itself, the plot, must be a human problem. Four, the human condition must be one which is created by or indispensably affected by the new conditions. Five, um, be internally consistent as possible. Well, where are you getting these rules from? Cause it, well, Highland actually said it, but uh, uh, there's a review of Darkling Sea that um, quotes. piece it to That's, me. All right. Oh, yeah, maybe we should link to that review when we do the post. I, I have a link here. I'll paste it in the Skype. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, that that so that's about uh, it's kind of like should talk about it. Students are on this. uh, It's kind of like Io, the moon of Jupiter, where there's like Mm -hmm. a a frozen surface and there's like a warm motion underneath, and there's like uh, aliens underneath there. But it's not Io; it's some other moon. But uh, it's similar to that. And then uh, the uh, people from Earth encounter the aliens, and then there's 
conflict, and then there's a third group of aliens that want to uh, keep them separate. And I read the first chapter, and, it, and it's, it's pretty good. So I, I think it'll be a, a hit. Who's you read the author? That? James Cambias, C-A-M-B-I-A-S. Hmm. I've not heard of him. And John Scalzi seems to know him, too. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of Scalzi-like. Like it, the thing, the book is only 300 pages, so it's not too long. What, is it some paper book you're reading or an e-book? It's, it's, uh, it's in hardcover. Okay. So that's one. Yeah. Okay, um, V.S. Day by Alan Steele. V.S. Day. So it's kind of a play on uh, V-Day. So it, ah. instead of the Germans working on a V-2 rocket, they work on a spaceship to attack America. Oh, right. And then America, the response works on a spaceship to defend against the Germans. So I guess you can call it alternate history. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it says the novel of alternate history right on the cover there. Yeah. So Alan Steele wrote the Coyote series, which is a hard science fiction. So I think it has a lot of engineering details in it. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah, that's kind of a fun, locus. That, that's right. fun time. About it. Nice. And then, yeah. do you want me to go on the third book? Oh, yeah, go for it. I'm just reading the description of VS Day. Victor, see, V Day is the Victory Day. What would S Day? Victory in Space Day. That's what it means. Yeah. Space oh, nice. Spaceship. Because, yeah, VE Day was Victory in Europe, and VJ Day was Victory over Japan. Oh, I know those are VJs. I thought VJs were video jockeys. <laughs> no, VJ Day. Oh. Why is, do you know why D-Day is called D-Day? Uh, no. D-Day. This is fun, fun, it's a really, really weak reason. Because it's the day that it happens. And so it was D-Day plus one, right? Uh, so we're one day away from, or one day, one day after uh, D-Day. Um, and then... On D-Day, there was a special hour when everything began. That was called H-Hour. <laughs> I love it. Sounds very redundant. Yeah, it's very, it's very specific. You have all these redundant terms so that everybody knows what they're talking about, but they don't have to actually put a label to it, right? Are, are we talking about D-Day? Yeah, we're talking about D-Day. If you know, already know what it is, it's okay. It doesn't reveal anything, right? It's not like the day we attack Normandy, because if you have all these guys in bars talking, the day we attack Normandy, that's going to be a problem because they they're going to attack Normandy. Oh, okay, it's a code. It's a it's yeah it's sort of a uh, uh, yeah an encoding of some kind. All right, VS next one. Sorry, Stan. And the other one, this is pretty obvious. The Martian by Andy Weir, which, right. which Julie likes and Luke Burge on the. Science Fiction Book Review Podcast likes, and we're going to do a read-along of it. So yeah. It's basically Robinson Crusoe on Mars. This guy gets stuck on Mars, and he has to use MacGyver-like techniques to survive. Uh, Jen- Jenny, were you saying that you were worried about the narration? Um, I don't know. I I feel like we must have talked about this in December, because that was before Julie had read it, and I think she got it from us, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I need to go back. Um, but who's the narrator? I can't remember, but I, I know that um, I heard the narrator was good. Complain about it, which is he's usually uh, maybe he didn't read the audiobook, but when Luke hears something complaining, he he'll spend ten minutes mocking the narrator mm-hmm. pronunciation or some word. It says R.C. Bray, and I don't I don't know that one. Okay. But we'd have so to go I, back and look. You may be thinking of Julie's review, which we posted. 
I can't remember what she said about the narrator, though. No, I don't remember anything bad. But I, I thought I heard for some the, reason I heard the book is humorous and the narrator makes it yeah. cross well. Oh, it's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it sounds very promising. It, it's written in like journal entries. Mm-hmm. Oh, even better. First person. Yeah. Yeah, I like I, I like everything I've heard about it so far, so I'm looking forward to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, I do have uh, something that I I purchased using my uh, downpour credit um, in anticipation of a a show subsequently. But on downpour, they had put out a new audiobook, uh, Love, Lovecraft book called. Um, it's Eldritch Tales. That's what it's called. I'm just going to type it in here. Um, Eldritch Tales is, it turns out, a book I already have. Um, so I was like, hey, can you send me a list of the contents of this book And they on Twitter? And they said, yeah, here it is. And they emailed it to me. Well, it's the exact same contents as the, the book I have. But it's just so, such a generic sort of Lovecraftian title. I didn't realize that it was actually an adaptation of that specific book. Um, so it's Eldritch Tales, a miscellany of the macabre. And it's sort of a companion piece to uh, another one from the same publisher called uh, Necronomicon. And, uh, it, you know, Necronomicon is not a real book. It's, it's a book that Lovecraft uh, made up. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. It is real, man. <laughs> well, you know what? There's too many people who talk that way, and those are the crazy people. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It's not. It's definitely not a real book. <laughs> um, however, so are fairies. Yeah. Uh, so Eldritch Tales is a. It's a collection of those Lovecraft short stories and poems that are not in the Necronomicon. I'm not sure this is a complete exhaustive. Um. Uh, not sure it's a completely exhaustive collection with the two books but they're quite thick um so it's very likely to be pretty close to exhaustive just trying to bring up the actual link of i have to sign in to find my list because i i I got the i got the list of contents but i didn't um break it down here it is i'm about to post this as a new release so the contents include the alchemist uh and these are sort of in order of publication uh, Lovecraft stories. A reminiscence, a reminiscence of Dr. Samuel Johnson, The Beast in the Cave. That's a story he wrote when he was a, a kid. Um, very early Lovecraft. Memory, Despair, The Picture in the House, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, Psychopompos, A Tale in Rhyme, which I, I'm hoping to get some audio from a friend from. Uh, the White Ship, The House, The Nightmare Lake, Poetry and the Gods, Nyarlathotu, Nyarlathotep. I can't say this one. Nyarlathotep. That's not too bad. Polaris, which we've done as a read-along. Very cool short, short story. The Street Ex Oblivione, which means out of nothing. Um, Facts concerning the late Arthur German and his family is going to be an upcoming show. And we're getting the audio from that uh, Eldritch Tales for the audio, so it should be great. Uh, the Crawling Chaos, which we've also done as a show in the past. The Terrible Old Man, The Tree, The Tomb, great short story. Salathis, I don't know how to say that one either. Hypnos, we've done that as a show. What the Moon Brings, The Horror at Martin's Beach, da 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 and goes on and on and on. And at the end, there is a complete uh, reading of a very long essay called Supernatural Horror in Literature. And that is read... Um, 
very well. Uh, in fact, the narrators on this are fantastically good. Um, it's it says various narrators, but um, I don't know if I I don't know if I have the list handy, but it was incredibly good narration. Um, and it, we've got Tom Weiner, Simon Vance, Simon Preble, Bronson Pinchot, Malcolm Hillgartner, Sean Ronette, Elijah Alexander, Stefan Rudnicki, and Stefan Rudnicki does that essay. Gildart Jackson, Robertson Dean, Pamela Gerlich, and Armando Duran. It's 20 hours, and it's a very good deal on Downpour. So if you are into Lovecraft, this is my suggestion. And we about, know you are. <laughs> one, I, yeah, I, 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 when I saw this, I was like, I'm getting that. Absolutely. Maybe Jeff Vandermeer fans would like it. I, I think, you know, if you just like took any five of the stories in here, You'd be saying, I just got a great deal because there's it's so much. There's so much good stuff. The content. So, I mean, it's Lovecraft. He's wonderful. All right. So that was um, (laughs) that was my main new release that I've actually got. So I guess a recent arrival. Mm -hmm. Um, Jenny, have you got anything? No, that's all I had. Yeah. Okay. well, let's talk. Recent uh, releases, I guess, new releases on different sites. Um, Actually, I, I, I did finish the Scorpion game, um, Mercy Vu's, uh, the one she edited. Uh huh. And that was you were good reading it, right? Yeah, it's kind of like near singularity, like buildings are made of meat, and uh, everybody has the the chip in their head. And but it's it's a murder mystery, which is your kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. Uh, are you doing a review? Um, well, I read the ebook. Oh, there's no audiobook. No, no audiobook? Oh. There should, well, there should be an audiobook. There should be. Maybe there will be. Yes, yeah, someday. Uh, well, I'll have a look at your Goodreads review if you finished it. Yeah, I did. I, I, I try not to look at your your Goodreads until you're done because you're, I think you comment while you're reading, right? Yeah. You don't like that? No, because I, I think it's, I, I want to see the end. I don't want to see the middle. Okay. Oh, I like it. I like seeing the process. I know everybody does that. That's I. I don't look at. I, good I got that from Julie. Finished. I know everybody's sort of live blogging their their. It's awesome. Uh, this, this this way, I'm holding the author responsible for every hour that I'm spending on his book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so if he's wasting like the five hours in the middle. He'll he'll find out. Well, and the way you read, where you're reading like. 800 books at the same time. It helps to keep track. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it comes in handy later so I can remember everything. Yeah. yeah. So the only other thing that I'm very excited about that I don't have, um, uh, review, not a review, a commenter on the website pointed it out to me, um, and then I was like, holy crap, you're right, and I'm very excited. Uh, a few years ago, I did a post saying, I think the title was... Um, where are all the Ted Chiang audiobooks? Basically, it was complaining that, you know, there's all these audiobooks being published and there's no Ted Chiang audiobooks. Hmm. And they're awesome because they would be awesome because it's Ted Chiang and he's he's the evidence that Jesse's wrong about science fiction in the modern age being terrible. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> he is so good. He is really and good. Free the, Ted Chiang. That's exactly right. And so the only collection of his that actually exists, which I actually have a physical paper copy of somewhere around here is available now as an audiobook from Tantor. Excellent. Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chiang, narrated by Todd McLaren and Abby Cr- Creighton. 
nine CDs, one MP3 CD or audio download. And that means MP3s because they offer MP3 downloads on their site. Excellent. Are you going to listen? I'm going to have to get it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you know, the thing is, is the way I think about Ted Chiang, I, I savor them. I like, okay, you've been good, Jesse. It's time for another Ted Chiang. Right, because if I just sat down and read the whole book, I would be it'd be like having too much candy. It's just too his writing is too good. It's like you make it I, sick. I, I I wouldn't believe if somebody started talking about this guy and then read uh, it myself, I wouldn't believe that he could be this smart and such a good writer. Hmm. You know, he doesn't do these, you know, endless long series with, you know, almost no ideas. All his stuff is idea based and it's so well put together that it's all about the idea and it's so inevitable and perfect. It's like, wow, he's super talented. And he really Smart. puts a lot of time into every short story. Obviously, you know, I mean, he doesn't pump out like endless novels. He, he doesn't. He's never written a novel. He's all short stories and novellas and such. Right. The closest he's come is that uh, the one that's not in this collection. I guess it's the life cycle of software objects. Mm-hmm. That's a you know a book, but it's not it's not novel length. So, do you think it makes a difference? Like I'm I'm trying to figure out why he's different from other people. And you know he doesn't write full time. Mm. He has a no. he has a job. <laughs> he actually does write full time. Well, full time job is technical is writing. writing technical manuals, right? Right, <laughs> but he's not like immersed in his own universe of science fiction fantasy all the time. And I wonder if that makes a difference. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, but I can tell you that it's, it's like so refreshing to, you go to an author and they, you, the quality doesn't drop sometimes, you know, you know, if you look at Asimov, right? Good book, bad book, good book. Okay. Book, good book. Mm, why did you write this book? <laughs> there's a lot of that because he just writes so much. With Ted Chiang, there's no super, you know, inconsistency in between the stories. They just don't drop in level. It's it's almost like um, I want to think of him like Borges, you know. Hmm. Um. So I want him to stay alive a long time, so he can produce a lot of content over a long period of time. So, are there any authors out there left that still haven't made it to audio that you're hoping for? I don't know. I mean, the Ted Chiang was the one I I had to sit down and write a post for. There are there are some older authors, but modern authors, I don't think there are. How about you, Tim? Um, I can't think of it. Yeah. Just from what I said already. Uh, there's lots of you know books from the fifties or you know from you know, the forties or the sixties, but not, not a, the, the wonderful thing about audio now, and this is proof that Ted Chiang's book got a release. Finally. Um, this is proof that audio has come to dominate, uh, because it, it is new life for older books. This book didn't come out recently. It's, um, it's like it's 2009, out, right? I think yeah, it's something been like out that. for years. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, I'm so, glad they finally got to it. <laughs> me too. Me too. So that's that's my that was the big thing I had to talk about. Hmm. Well, I'm all out. You're all out. I'm all out. 
Drop the mic on this. <laughs> Thump. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>